Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist. And again, welcome to this week's show. Gosh, it's so funny to be on and be my normal kind of podcast self. Let me tell you this story that happened to me (laughs) earlier in the week. I am a big college basketball fan, and if you've listened to the show at all, you already know that. Uh, But there's this Kentucky sports radio show that comes on every day and you know we were all heartbroken because we lost our final four game last weekend so on Monday I called the show to tell this funny story and you would think because now this is my 257th show probably more than that because I had some little numbering mishaps along the way so close to 300 shows you would think I would be completely comfortable calling and doing what I do uh, a lot and have since 2008, but I got so nervous when it was my turn to talk on the show, especially because as soon as I got on, the host said, "Uh, hello, Laura from Shelbyville, welcome. Uh, We don't have much time, so uh, tell us your story really quickly, and that made me just go into overdrive. I sounded like a crazy woman. But thankfully, he just thought I was excited to be on the show, and so it didn't come off as uh, jittery as I was. So thankfully, that is over, and I thought, surely I'm not going to be nervous for this week's show, my show. So thankfully, I'm not. I am my normal, almost hyper self, but (laughs) it feels completely different than it did on that other show. Okay, another thing that's kind of weird about this week's show is I am actually at a hotel getting ready to go to a conference tomorrow, and it's not my conference, so there is no pressure. I am just the attendee like everybody else, so that's kind of a a fun thing for me, and I regularly get continuing education just like everybody else, but I don't know. There's just something about this hotel and you know, kind of ending the week, and I'm doing this Friday-Saturday conference, kind of a last-minute thing I signed up for, so just a great day, and I I don't know why I'm sharing that, but I did, so here we go. Okay, let's talk about our topic for tonight, which is, uh, again, this is show number 257, if you're kind of keeping up, and this is a really familiar question that I hear from moms a lot at teachmetotalk.com. Or if I'm talking with a therapist, you know, this is something that happens pretty commonly. And I know we've talked about it a little bit in the past on the show, actually probably more than a little bit, a lot. But I've never packaged my reply to a mom quite like I did for this mom. And when I did it, I thought, hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's a kind of a great way to look at that. This is a laid out so well that it may really help other people. So, of course, I wanted to turn it into a podcast, and I have a written version of this that I published yesterday at teachmetotalk.com. So if you've not seen the written version, you can take a look at that as well. And it may be helpful for you if you're a therapist and you have a, a child who's having difficulty with this particular issue, it may be helpful for you to print that post so that you can take it with you to that visit and have it there so that you and mom or dad or whoever's the, the 
family person with you that day. You can talk about it, kind of talk about the reasons or the options, the solutions that I'm giving as suggestions to. And again, I know this is going to help somebody. So if you're in this situation and you found it helpful, uh, please let me know because, again, that's kind of what makes me do this job and, and these shows and like that. Keep going with that website. So if you um, have feedback for me after hearing this, I would love, love, love to hear from you. Okay, so let's get started. This is um, the question. I'm just going to read it here. And this mom emailed it to me. And, again, this is several weeks ago. She said, hi, Laura, your video and books have been a great help for our son. I have a question about sign language. We have been working with my son on signing for about four months, and progress has been slow. He understands some signs, but will not do them by himself. When I say a word and show him the sign, he holds his hands out for me to do the sign with his hands. Now, if you were a speech pathologist, you too have seen that, haven't you? Probably today, huh? <laughs> it happens a lot. And she goes on to say, he will not do a sign without my help. He will even push my hands together for the sign for more and then hold his hands out, but he will not push his own hands together. Hoping you might have a suggestion for this. And then she tells us my son is two and a half and has autism. He does not use any words yet. And so she gave us that bit of history there, too. So let's just tease this apart. And again, we've talked a lot about signing, but I don't know that we've approached it in this kind of problem-solving format, which I think could be extremely helpful for any of you in this situation, whether you are a mom and you're trying to get signing going with your child or whether you're a therapist and this situation, I know it's happened to you. If you have worked for more than two weeks, <laughs> you have seen this happen because it is unfortunately pretty common. So let's just tease this apart and talk about what could be going on here. And I was careful in my reply to this mom to say, without seeing her child, I would never know exactly what's happening. But <laughs> I have seen this many times, and let's just talk about the possibilities and what my experience in working with toddlers for over 20 years has, has taught me that it could be. And we'll not only talk about what the problem could be, I'll also give you some options and some solutions for you to try. And this is important, too, because you could be in the same situation and working with a child and think that... It's one of the reasons um, that I'm going to give you here that he's not signing and, and see no more progress or, you know, kind of still stay stuck. But then you think, oh, I'm just going to try this other little solution, and voila, that could be your fix. So, again, I'm really excited about presenting the information in this way, knowing that it's going to be beneficial uh, for, hopefully, lots and lots of people who are in this situation. So to recap, this little guy um, has been, his mom's been doing a lot of signs with him. She doesn't say if he's in therapy, and we'll kind of address that in a minute too. But she's been working with him for four months, and he he obviously, um, well, mom says he understands some words. She thinks he understands the signs, and we'll kind of talk about that too. So let's just talk about what this possibility 
could be. It could be that that little guy is having difficulty with motor planning. Now, motor planning means the ability to send a message from your brain to some body part for that body part to do an action that you want it to do. So if we're talking about talking, it would be getting that little message, that neurological signal to activate and and facilitate all of those processes that it takes for you to be able to say a word. Same things ha same thing happens with any other kind of motor movement or motor action. You know, speech really is, you know, the highest fine motor skill that we have because of all the all the musculature that's involved and you know all of the complicated respiratory processes and resonance, all that other blah blah that we spend a lot of time learning about in grad school. But if we think about motor planning, when a child has a, has a motor planning problem that's limiting his ability to talk, we call that apraxia or dyspraxia, sometimes people call it. But again, it could be any kind of motor movement affected. So when you have a kid who's having difficulty with motor planning, it could be that he has trouble motor planning with his whole little body. So it could be, if this is the problem, part of the problem, that, and this is kind of what we look at first. And now, some therapists might disagree with this and say you need to not look at motor planning first. That's kind of your, your last resort. But here's what we know about kids with autism or kids with red flags for autism. Motor planning is a big part of what's usually keeping them from being verbal. So when we have a little guy who's nonverbal, who's on the spectrum, either diagnosed officially or suspected, that's something that we want to kind of think about. And again, let me just say, some moms who have children with autism will hear a term like apraxia and they will immediately cling to that apraxia diagnosis with every fiber of your being and they will shift so fast into, well, it's not really autism, it's just apraxia. Don't do that. <laughs> if you're a mom and you're in that situation and you're thinking, well, he can't be autistic. Maybe the person who diagnosed him just just didn't know about apraxia, and that's really all that's wrong. Let me, again, gently, kindly, I wish I could reach through and just give you a big hug right now and say, don't do that to yourself. Apraxia can be a kid's only problem, but many times it's just part of a bigger uh, global developmental issue and kids with autism often have an apraxia diagnosis too or need it or a motor planning diagnosis and let's just say too a lot of speech pathologists will not consider the diagnosis of apraxia until after a child is three and there's some reasons for that because it can be overdiagnosed and we're not going to get into that tonight in the show we've devoted entire shows to that before but let me just say, when you see the red flags of motor planning, you know that you need to lean in that direction. And again, not as a child's only diagnosis, but if, if motor planning is part of what's going on with this little guy, again, it's just, it's just another facet. And so we know that motor planning could be, you know, it, it may not be, but it could be what may make it difficult for him to use his little hands to sign. And again, without me looking at him and working with him, I have no way of knowing this. It's just something that I'm 
again, we're talking about all the possibilities and then what the solutions would be. So when you have a kid like this, first of all, let me say, a lot of times kids who, and this, this might be more applicable for children who are not on the spectrum, but for who, who have uh, motor planning issues, a lot of times they have cognition that's pretty intact, meaning that they are smart little people. And so they know, I cannot make my hands do what my mom is doing. I cannot do that. But my mom can do that. So he, those kids end up, I, I look at it as a, as a form of problem solving. They say, my hands won't do it, but your hands will. So I am just going to let you do it or continue to hold my hands out here because I know that you're going to do it. So when it's re when that happens, because it's a motor planning issue, when the kid somehow has figured out, man, I just cannot do that like this, we know that progress with signing is going to be really, really slow and almost will continue to prohibit progress. So do you get what I mean here? Meaning that signing may not be the way to go for those kinds of kids. Because, again, if a kid is on the ball enough to know, I can't do that with my hands like you can, they also know that they have things to communicate that they just can't. They can't make their mouths or their hands talk or sign for them. So for those kinds of kids, I don't stay with signing for very long if I think that's what's going on. Now I may come back to signing later after we've gotten some you know, initial success with something else. But for those kinds of kids, I move on to PECS. Now PECS is the Picture Exchange Communication System. It's not just using pictures to communicate. It's not just um, sometimes you, I had this happen years and years ago, and I always tell this story. I went into this home, and I'm evaluating the child for the first time, and I noticed that there are pictures all around the house of various things. And this is back when board maker black and white pictures were all the rage, so, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. And so I said to Mom, uh, what's up with all these pictures? Because I thought maybe she's doing some literacy stuff. You remember when that was kind of a, a thing that a, a lot of early educators did, uh, again, back in that time period where they were saying children need to be exposed to written you know, words so that they can learn how to read even earlier than school age. And so, you know, I didn't know this family didn't know what had happened. And she said, well, no, actually, I'm teaching him how to use pictures to communicate and I said wow where'd you where'd you learn about that and you know this was again before everybody had internet you know not only in their homes you know, now everybody has it at their fingertips on their phones but this mom you know this is before all of that way back in the dark ages for you young therapists and mommies um and they, she, she said, the physical therapist who came to evaluate my child told me that might be a good option because she didn't think he was ready to talk yet. And so that mom was an on-the-go or go-getter, you know, on-the-ball kind of mom. And so she just thought, I'm going to do this. And she researched and, you know, found a way to get the pictures. I think she was a teacher, too. And so she had all that going on. Picture exchange communication system, thankfully, <laughs> isn't about doing that and it's a very systematic detailed evidenced 
evidence-based method so supported by research a very detailed way to teach a kid to trade a picture for a highly motivating object. So I've cautioned this mom in my reply to her, and I'm cautioning you if you're a mom, don't hear this idea with, well, ditch the signs and go to pictures, and just think that you should, again, go nuts taking 55 pictures tonight of every every toy your kid likes, every food, and that you're just going to paste them up all over the house, and then that's going to be your big solution, and suddenly your child's going to learn how to trade pictures just by seeing that. I wish that it worked that way, but it really doesn't. And PEX is the very best way I have ever seen for teaching a child how to begin to use a picture system. Now, now we get lots of apps that are, are similar to PEX, but my experience has been in early intervention that you are better off to start uh, with trading a picture first and not having it associated with the device because so many of our little friends who have delays have become accustomed to using their iPads or their mom's phone or whatever device they're using for a game or an entertainment kind of purpose and so it's kind of hard to get them not to you know and a lot a lot of times kids will just be in that habit of swiping do you know what I mean they've learned that they can change the picture just by swiping their finger and so a lot of times they're not even really paying attention to what's going on. They've just learned that they can get the, the picture to change by just moving their little finger. And, again, that's problem solving. That's great. But kids are, I think, when we start with text that way or a picture system that way, they have a more difficult time learning that it's communicative. So if you'll back up and teach Using pictures the way that PEX outlines it, you'll save yourself a whole lot of heartache. And all the hard work is already done. You just follow the directions. Now, you can get the PEX manual. And, again, it's a picture exchange communication system. Um, you, can, you can order it. It's from, I think the company's name is Pyramid. But just Google search it, PEX, P-E-C-S, or picture exchange communication system. Order the manual. It's pretty cheap. I probably shouldn't say this since I'm a producer of products too, and I, I don't think I like it when other people say this, but you could probably find it on eBay, which is where I think I bought several of the, the copies that I own. Because I'll tell you what I do as a therapist, I buy the copies used, or if a family kind of is beyond that and they're not going to use it anymore, I get it and I keep it and I pass it on to the next family. So if you're a a do-gooder like me, <laughs> and you like to share materials with families and especially help families that don't have uh, the resources that, that um, we would like or that they would like. So that's certainly a way that you can get uh, yourself a, a copy too. But I, I think it's a relatively cheap program anyway or inexpensive as far as therapy materials go. So if that's the case, for um, a kid that you're having difficulty with with signing, you know, don't hesitate to move on to pictures. And what I recommended for this mom or move on to PECS is that she begin not just running out and getting the PECS manual herself, but talking about it with her speech pathologist. And one thing I always say, and I think I forget to say this a lot on the show, but I always, always, always try to do everything I can to 
encourage moms not to try to treat their child's speech language delays on their own. And sometimes that's a mom's only option. If services are really, really limited in your area because of, you know, geography or sometimes people will say, um, you know, the waiting list is a year for services. You know, I can certainly understand in that situation where, a mom is really doing everything that she can to get services, but you don't want to just sit and wait and do nothing while you're on that list or, you know, you know, again, waiting for a spot to open up or whatever. But that's really the only time that I can think it would ever be a good idea for a mom to try to do therapy with her own child on her own. You need another set of eyes on your kids, on on your child. You need someone else who has, um, and I'm just going to say it, that professional training and somebody who's had a lot of experience with a variety of children so that you will be able to benefit from hearing from them what works and what doesn't work and from what they've tried and just, again, hearing about how other kids learn it or do it. And so I always want to make sure that, you know, I know there's some situations where moms are trying to do it, you know, out there by themselves and, but I hope that's not the case. And it doesn't sound like it's the case with this family, but I'm telling her, talk with your therapist first. Ask your therapist, why do you think he's not signing? What do you think the problem is? Do you think we can look at using something like PECS? And certainly her therapist should be able to walk her through that process. Now, in my book, Teach Me to Talk the Therapy Manual, I have a, uh, it's a small section on using uh, PECS and tips that I've found to make it more helpful, particularly when introducing pictures to toddlers. But don't rely on that. You know, <laughs> use that kind of as your icing on the cake. After you've read the PECS manual to get started, you, and if, especially if you already have Teach Me to Talk the Therapy Manual, take a look at that section so that you can uh, make sure that you are benefiting from from uh, all the all the advice. With, don't do it this way, try it this way, so that you don't have to repeat mistakes that someone else can uh, save you from. All right, so that was the first possibility, that the child's motor planning might be so um, disrupted, that's a good word for that, that signing is not a realistic way to get language, speech language going. So you're going to want to switch to another way to communicate, which would be with the picture exchange communication system. And let me just add this, and I didn't add it to, with this mom when I replied to her or on the written version. If we are truly looking at evidence-based practice, studies tell us that text is the best way to get uh, first words and early communication going with children who are on the spectrum because they have so many difficulties with with their core difficulties will likely limit their ability to sign, meaning they have to pay attention to another person to know that they're signing. Well, we know that's disrupted in autism. Or they have to be able to imitate, you know, that ability to copy what another person does. That's what, when you're teaching a kid how to sign, that's what you're doing. You're teaching them to imitate you. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we know that those two areas, plus the motor planning thing that we've already talked about, we know that children with autism have difficulty with those those areas. So signing may not 
ever be a good idea for some of our little friends on the spectrum. And certainly research backs that up. Now, does that mean signing is not a good option for any child with autism? Absolutely not. And if you have a kid who's on the spectrum or who you suspect to be on the spectrum, but you think, well, he's watching me good enough, and gosh, I think I can teach him to do this. Go for it. (laughs) Don't dismiss signing as an option just because of a diagnosis. You've always got to look at a kid really individually and carefully, knowing what you know about that particular child, and then make decisions based on that, not just on an overall diagnosis. All right, let's move on to possibility two. It could be that this little guy can perform the signs himself, but based on all of his past experience with mom, he thinks that she's the only one that's supposed to perform the sign. (laughs) She's the only one that's supposed to do it. And again, this is because he doesn't really understand that he has a part in this. And that could be a really common reason that children with autism don't sign because they are poor imitators or and and it could be again like I mentioned before that poor social referencing meaning that they're not really watching you well enough to sign and then when they do see you do it they think well that's what you do but it doesn't really have anything to do with me (laughs) and so they don't really understand that you're supposed to try to do what you do now when that's the case you have to back up and you have to teach that whole motor imitation piece first And let me just say, signing is not for you to start with this. Most of the time, you're going to want to start way back with having him copy an action with an object. And that's usually a familiar toy or maybe an object that he uses every day in a daily routine. Like, let's say you're eating and you have, let's say y'all are all eating ice cream. And so you have your spoon, and you want to teach him how to imitate, what are some things you could do with that spoon? Well, you could tap it on the bowl. You could lift it up in the air. (laughs) You could um, hide it under the table. Any kind of little motor action. You could stir the ice cream. Anything like that. That's usually how kids learn how to imitate first. And if you'll think back to... um, infancy and you know that's how kids learn how to play you show them how to use a toy and then they're able to do it so for this little guy I advise this mom and she already said she had my books to take a look at level one in my book building verbal imitation and toddlers for some ideas for how to get that imitation piece established And signing is actually a later level two behavior. And again, don't get confused about me saying level this, level that. That's just a way that I organize the information. But let's just look at imitation with objects usually comes first because that's the easiest way to teach a toddler how to do it. And then imitating comes with body movements. And signing is a fine motor skill meaning that you do it with your hands. So for some kids, they can't even start there. You've got to back them up a little further and start with gross motor imitation or bigger body imitation. So something that's not as refined as doing a sign. So if you're 
wanting more information about that or that this is brand new information for you, you've never thought about it that way before, get my book, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, and I will walk you through that whole process. And if you're a therapist, you really need to understand this from a theoretical perspective. Uh, position so that you understand how imitation just happens. We don't start teaching a child how to imitate by saying single words. And lots of times that's where people start therapy. And guys, it's it's wrong. <laughs> it's not the right place developmentally for a child who doesn't understand how to imitate. So that's what that mom needs to do is kind of take a step back and look at that whole imitation piece. Okay, let's move on to possibility number three. It could be that the child can sign on his own, but he's become overly dependent on mom to do it. So this is just kind of an offshoot of the previous suggestion or the previous possibility with he could do it, but he thinks you're supposed to do it. This kind of kid is a little bit different in that he could sign, but he's just kind of become like, why should I bother? You're going to do it for me. And a lot of times we want to go here first. You know, moms really like to kind of say about their kids, and I cringe when I hear it happen, but, you know, we do. A lot of times mom or grandma or whoever will say, he's just lazy or he's just stubborn. You know, that's why he won't sign. He's just holding his hands up for me to do it. He's so lazy. You know, don't fall into that. And, again, this is not the first option that I want you to consider, but some kids kind of are this way. It's kind of the path of least resistance. So they do just kind of give you your hand, give you their hands, like, do it. I know you're going to anyway. You know, let's just skip the two minutes of you begging me to do it. <laughs> let's just skip all that and get straight to the part where you take my hands and make me do it. So for kids like this, uh, you really have to make it impossible for them to resist trying to sign on their own. So how do you do that? You have to pick the most fun, most favorite, very best, ultra wonderful thing for that kid and use that as your bait <laughs> to get them to want to try to sign on their own. And again, I can't pick that out for any kid without spending time with him. But if you're a mom, you can. <laughs> you know what makes your kid light up. You know what really does it for him. So that's what you have to pick. Now, for some kids, it's food. And it's not regular food. It's junk food. Um, it might be a milkshake. It might be, uh, I had a kid one time that it was mom's sweet tea, you know, living in the South, and that child really liked that. But, you know, of course, mom's not going to give her kid sweet tea all the time, and she shouldn't, but to teach the sign, you know, it was really effective. You know, sometimes, it, you know, junk food, like I said, so it might be a cookie or a cracker or an M&M or Skittle or whatever it is for your kid. For a lot of kids who've really been hard to teach to sign, Going to a movement activity has been most successful. So it might be, you know, getting you to uh, throw them up in the air or tickle them or swing them around in some way. And I know I've done a lot of shows about picking motivators. But but a trick for this is just watching what your child lights up for. So when does he get excited? When do, What does he love more than anything in the world? That's what you want to use here. And, again, you're just going to – 
really ratchet it up and make it so fun when you're offering that to him and you just keep modeling that sign if you're using more you know I told her go ahead and start with you know keep using more because that's easy and that's what you've already tried with him and it's it's a good one to to start with so pick his favorite little thing and proceed with knowing that you're really not going to help him do it. And and for some kids, you know, you may have to really, again, you, you've got to keep it fun and light. You can't make him too mad when you're doing this. But if it's, um, if a kid loves, um, you know, Reese's sticks, you might have to stand there and, you know, you're waving that little candy right there going, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And you might take a little bite and say, I know you want some, show me, show me, show me, you know, show me more. And you're really modeling that and you're doing everything you can. And your key here is if he can already do it, you just got to pick something so tempting for him that he can't resist. So that's certainly something to try. Let's back up and talk about the sign for more. Now, some speech pathologists don't teach the sign for more first because someone has taught them that a child may get stuck or may overgeneralize the sign for more and you only teach them more and then they never move on. I've written a whole post about this called In Defense of More, 10 Reasons I Still Teach the Sign for More First because I think that a lot of people have <laughs> misapplied something that started out as a really good recommendation and still for some kids with autism, we know that there is a tendency to kind of pick a thing or two that they can do and hang on to it for dear life and not move on to learn new signs or new words. But guys, that kind of happens with kids with autism anyway because they like routine and they like, um, you know, once something works, you know, it's kind of, I always kind of think, well, he thinks, why aren't you giving it, you know, let me sign for that or giving it to me for, for signing that because that's worked for me 75 times before, so why can't it work on time 76? You know, they kind of get stuck in that in that position. So um, I understand that original recommendation that probably Hannon came out with that first was not to use signs like more at the beginning. And they only work with kids with autism, or not only, but that's kind of the specialty. But here's here's the thing. All kids, when they're learning how to talk, overgeneralize. And I, I don't want to get into all of those reasons because they're outlined there in that post. But if you've had some qualms yourself about teaching the sign for more, reevaluate that, particularly if you're trying to work now with toddlers and maybe you, your previous experience with this was with preschoolers. Go back and read my, my article in defense of more, and I bet I can sway some of you and convince you that it is not the end of the world you are not making a grave error by starting with the sign for more so take a look at that all right so this is another thing that I asked this mom as we're, t as we're looking at this possibility I said I have a question for you does he clap if he can clap he can sign more and let's think about the opposite of that. So I already said if he can clap, he can sign more. Why is that? Because the sign for more is just putting your fingers together right there at midline, right in the center of your body, right there in front. And that's where we clap too. Guys, I have seen this happen in the past where we have a child who has 
big time gross motor delays at two and a half who maybe still isn't walking, may not even be crawling, and they don't really do anything at midline, meaning they're not holding their bottle there. They're not bringing a toy to midline. They may only use one hand at a time for whatever reason. There could be a myriad of reasons for that. And we're not going to get into all those, but if you have a kid who can't clap, there's no way he can sign more <laughs> because he doesn't have the physical ability, all right? So be sure, you know, that's something I realized kind of as I'm going through this, these possibilities when I was replying to this mom. I thought, uh-oh, I better ask her this first. So that's something you should be thinking about, too. When you have a child who has some gross motor um, delays, disorders, you'll, if you decide that signing is still a good option, you may have to modify a lot of your signs so that the child can perform the sign and you still know what the sign means and so does mom and so does the child and that's absolutely fine you know whatever you need it to be to be representative of whatever word he's trying to use it's it's perfect as long as everybody that's working with that child knows what that gesture means or knows what that sign means but let me just say take a look at that physical piece first because if he doesn't have the physical capability then again you need to look for another another um another option there all right so i told her if he can't clap yet then signs may be too difficult and back up and try pecs or another system like we talked about before and let me just say, too, for children who aren't using any other early gesture, like you go in and, you know, you're talking with mom and a child is not waving bye-bye, a child is not pointing, either to, like, say, you know, directed an adult's attention to something that, that they like or pointing to a picture in a book, or if they're not using an isolated index finger, you know, to activate a toy, that's a red flag, <laughs> You've got to get that gesture piece going first. Other ones that they might do, well, does he lift his hands to be picked up when you say, um, you know, why not? Or, oh, mama's going to get you, that kind of thing. If you don't see that a child is naturally using those gestures and incorporating those, that's what you need to be working on, teaching him how to use his little body to communicate. And, again, these are things that we don't teach typically in typically developing babies, you know, a baby is in his crib and mom comes in to pick him up and she holds her arms out and so he just naturally holds his arms up and he's learned man it's easier if I get my arms up so she can grab me right around my ribs here pick me up so that's something that you want to be looking at too and work on those things first before beginning signs sometimes if I have and especially this is years and years ago when I you know was learning how to do this job and be a better therapist and I would think you know I would try signs for a few weeks and then I, you know, I remember this happening. It would suddenly kind of hit me like, uh-oh. <laughs> he's not waving bye-bye. He's not pointing. He's not giving me five. He's not clapping. What am I doing doing signs? He's not developmentally ready. And we've talked about that a lot on the show, but I wanted you to think about that and remember that. And certainly, you know, this is in a response to a mom's question, which that may be something that nobody's really pointed out to her before. So that's certainly something that you want to make make sure of. And if you have a kid who you think can sign that's not making progress, back up and work on those early gestures first. And again, if you need some help doing that, building verbal imitation and toddlers outlines that process beautifully. So get your hands on that book 
and read some of those ideas. Another thing that I have tried that's worked, especially for children um, who seem to be familiar with the sign, and I know that physically they can do it, but for whatever reason, they're still not. Sometimes it's just, again, they've become so dependent and, and they're just so used to seeing just me do the sign or perhaps just me and mom. We get help from someone else like dad or like a brother or sister. And we have that extra person there modeling what we want the child to do. So in this case, it would be signing. And this happens a lot. We see kids all the time in their homes when brothers and sisters are there. Even in a, if they're coming like, you know, I'm in private practice, if they're coming to see you in your clinic, you know, if there's another brother or sister who's not school age, you know, what's mom supposed to do? She nearly always has to bring them with her to the visit. So you've got another person there. So teach the other kid how to do it and kind of make it a group thing where the other child or person is modeling what you want them to do. And again, use something that the kid that you're working with who you want to sign, pick his one of his favorite things in the world and then give it to that other person when they sign it. And a lot of times that's just what kind of pushes a kid over the hump and they learn how to do it because they see somebody else do it and it's kind of like an aha moment for everybody you know that I, it's so fun to see this happen the kid looks at the other kid doing the sign and then they kind of realize I, I want some of that and so <laughs> then they perform the sign that you're trying to get them to do and it's a really really um, cool thing when it works out like that so that's another option that may be successful for this mom and again sometimes kids with autism don't respond to using a model in this way but let me tell you what might be more successful and I've had more success with this than kids at, with kids who are a little bit older than two and a half so my little friends who are over three three and a half close to four especially when they're a really visual kid and especially if they are device addicted <laughs> do you know what I mean by that a kid who loves his iPad or mom's phone or he's a kid you know in the past we would have called them a TV kid or a DVD kid you know they're just they want to watch movies all day every day or they want to do apps for those kinds of kids you might video and again this is so easy to do now because we all have these fancy phones but with your smartphone you might shoot a little video of someone else doing the sign and getting something that the child wants you let him watch that you know even if you shoot just a minute video where the other person is signing a lot and getting reinforced a lot, meaning that they get what they're signing for. Let them watch that. If it's a minute video, you might you know, rewind it. And, or Well, we don't rewind it anymore. We hit the arrow, play it again, and let them watch it over and over and over several times in a row. And then later that day, do it again and then do it again so that they get lots of exposure to that. And again, I wouldn't say do this for every kid. I'm talking about just our kids who are super visual. And again, those kids who are device addicted, you know, the ones I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> those kinds of kids, you let them watch that video model and then you try the same activity with them. And there's a growing body of research that for a subset of kids, not every kid, but for a select number of kids, especially children with autism, 
this can be really successful. So that might be something that you try. Now, I have not, again, had to use that very often because other things, thankfully, have worked first. But when you know that you have a kid who has these strengths or these extreme preferences with a device, that may be a way that you would be able to use it. Uh, I'll tell you, more often than teaching a kid to sign like this, I've taught a kid, uh, I've taught kids to call their moms that way. And there's a cute little video, I shot it last year at Mother's Day, and we're getting ready for Mother's Day again, but it's called the Mom Game. And so I did a Therapy Tip of the Week, shot a Therapy Tip of the Week uh, video about that. And so um, using the, the video method where we video mom, saying, you know, mama, mama, I'm mama, you know, making a cute little video of herself. That's helped a lot of kids go on to learn how to say mama. So same kind of principle here, but you're going to use it to teach the sign more. So let me just close with, it's a very familiar problem. And again, if you're a speech pathologist, you probably have seen that before, but you may not have thought about those prerequisites like oh gosh I don't he's not really using very many gestures you know and then I want you to have a light bulb moment here and think well then why am I trying to teach him to sign because signs are really higher level gestures so you know developmentally you got to back up and work on those prerequisites first you may not have thought about that oh gosh I need another kid to do it here with me he or you know a sibling or let's get dad or whoever you know, especially if you have been treating the child, if you're a therapist and you've been treating the child all by yourself and you're not involving a caregiver for whatever reason, I'm not going to lecture you about that tonight, <laughs> but you need another person there so that the kid gets, oh, it's not just her that does the sign. Oh, somebody else can do that too. Because sometimes, again, because of the past experience, that's that's what the child thinks. You may not have ever thought about it in that way. You may not have thought about the video idea. You may have just not thought about, you may have just, you know, how motivating something is. So you may have just been trying to use, you know, whatever the kid has laying around, you know, it's not very motivating. It's just what's available. Sometimes that's happening now. We're, we're really, a lot of <laughs> programs are prohibiting you from taking cool, fun, novel things with you into a visit. And so you don't really have a ton of things that, that would would be um, not immediately accessible to a child. And he might think, well, I'm not going to sign for that while she's here or even for my mom because they're going to turn around and as soon as they drop it, I'm going to get it anyway, so I don't have to work for that. So again, you may not have thought that, gosh, the problem here is really the motivator and that I've got to get some better stuff. Uh, maybe we should try food. Maybe we should try, you know, again, like I talked about that movement game. So I hope that I've given you several options now. So when you have a kid that's not signing, that you are able to think and you have some different solutions. One thing that I didn't tell this mom either that I always tell moms in person is it could just be that it's something about that particular sign that you're trying, that it's too hard or the kid doesn't get it or just can't make that connection. So sometimes you may just try changing the sign and you may have more luck with another sign versus the one that you're trying. So that would be an option too. All right. So, again, if you have 
a story you want to share with me about what's worked with a kid that you've had difficulty signing with who's suddenly gotten it, I would love to hear from you. Especially if you have a kid that you're thinking about right now and over the next few weeks you have some success or if you are a mom and you had just listened to this show as your last resort and you needed some new ideas and it works, I want to hear from you. So let me know in the next couple of weeks. You can always email me. It's laura at teachmetotalk.com. Or if you're at my website, teachmetotalk.com, there's a green button. Scroll to the bottom of the page, and it says Contact. You can click on Contact and shoot me a little uh, message. It comes straight in, and I will respond to you hopefully within a day or two. Now, I think I've said before how many hundreds of emails I can get in the course of the day, so don't panic if I don't get right back to you, but certainly success stories make my day. <laughs> so if you have good luck from one of these strategies that we talked about tonight, I really, really, really want to hear from you. Speaking of that, next week's show is going to be a lot of fun because we have a mom coming on, and as a special treat, her child's speech pathologist is coming on the call too. So we're having a three-way call next week or show so that mom and the speech pathologist can talk to me about what's going on with this little guy and I can give them some tips. They're kind of stuck with him. He's got a pretty rare medical condition, um, a genetic anomaly. And so next week she's going to talk, the mom's going to talk about that. But here's the cool thing. She emailed me back in October I was having difficulty getting some services going. The state program, you know, only wanted to see the child one time a month. You know, boo, boo to that state. <laughs> but I encouraged her, you know, find somebody else to work with. Don't go at this alone. And she found a wonderful therapist, and they are having some good initial success. But they've got some questions about where can we take this? Where is this next step? So just from email, I can tell that this is going to be a really fun mom. So I'm excited about that show next week. That's going to be next Friday. So if you're listening, today is Thursday, April 9th, 2015. And I know these shows live on forever and ever and ever. You know, if you're listening kind of in real time, I can't wait for next week's show. So I wanted to go ahead and give the big preview for that. All right, that's going to do it for me for this week. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.